0: Hello and welcome to Career Move Secrets, a brand new podcast for active job seekers and the career-minded. In each episode, I'll interview a special guest from my global network. Guests will include seasoned recruiters, experienced hiring managers from companies big and small, and successful individuals who have developed great careers through making great career moves. My aim is to uncover and share my guests' unique perspectives, their insights, and their insider advice on job searching, interviewing, and career enhancement. My name is Tony Tolbert, and I've been working in the recruitment industry as an international headhunter for over 20 years. I'm the creator of CareermoveSecrets.com, a step-by-step online course for job seekers that I designed to be the ultimate guide to getting hired in the hidden job market. I will add my perspective to the conversation, and together with my guests, we hope to provide some genuine, actionable insider advice that will help you execute your next career move. Thanks for joining us today. (music) Okay, so this is episode two. And again, I'm speaking to a seasoned recruiter, this time an individual who is the group director of an international search business that is private equity backed. Hello, Andy Preston. Morning, morning Tony. (laughs) How are you doing? You are right? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, good. Obviously, we're in the middle of this lockdown. I think we're now, what, are we four weeks, five weeks in?
1: Yeah, it feels four, four to five weeks now for us, yeah.
0: It feels longer, doesn't it, already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you've got you've got three young kids at home. How how are you getting on?
1: Yeah, uh, that's probably the most challenging thing for for me, um, balancing schoolwork, uh, a wife that's not a teacher, um, just the distractions that come from the day to day that when they're in the house, kind of running around, <clears throat> I'm quite enjoying a slightly different pace of start to the day. Can't I can't hide the fact that I don't miss my commute, don't miss the school run. Um, I quite enjoy having breakfast with the children and seeing them a bit earlier in the evening. So, you know, there's some positives from it. I think it's, it's made me think a little bit uh, more about the structure of my day going forward. And I'm getting used to working from home. I think a lot of people are finding their own pace of what works for them, uh, whether they're a morning person or an evening person. It's not necessarily a nine to five, sit in a room all day. Uh, which is probably better for me, so I have plenty of breaks during the day, and I click in when I need to. So yeah, I'm getting used to the new normal, um, and I think most of the guys who work for me, whether they are single guys in flats in Leeds or you know family people, they're uh, they're getting used to their own pace. So yeah, it's it's all right actually.
0: Yeah, it very much <laughs> feels like it's going to be the new normal. I, I've been working for them for for a good few years, and it, it is something you ease into. But I think. You know, everybody is going to be uh, getting very used to it by the time we, we come out of this. Um, you mentioned you've got guys working for you and all that sort of stuff. I, I obviously know lots about you, but uh, listeners will not. Uh, give me give me the potted history and, and particularly where you are now.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I fell into recruitment in year 2000. Uh, having graduated from Leeds Metropolitan University with a business degree. Um, I fell into an independent recruiter at Ellis Fairbank. I didn't have a clue whether that was the right business for me or not. Um, for those who know that brand, I had a, the greatest two years of my uh, my life there. i would met some of my long-term friends and I learned how to recruit and I took the best bits of that business. It was very, very direct, quite an aggressive uh, recruitment business but it Threw me into a market sector so i fell into the food and drink industry which i've always been um, i was quite fortunate I, I found my i found my pace in that sector i thoroughly enjoyed it and performed really well so uh after two years the uh, the business went through a management buyout and the culture shifted and i set up a business called 7hr with six other colleagues uh that was relatively successful we were very much a specialist within the consumer sector both retail and uh fmcg so food and drink manufacturing. And that was primarily UK, although we did have a, a Polish office, um, which we established, which was quite a move at that time. Um, I did that until two thousand and five, and I moved on. I moved on to um, to join a, a couple of ex-colleagues who set up a group of businesses, and they were looking to establish a new brand. So I set up a new brand, uh, which again was a startup. You know, brand new desk and created a team from scratch. That was in two thousand and five, and that ran really for the next nine, 10 years, um, I established Penman, which became BW Penman, which eventually is now CSG, which is a a global recruiter with multiple offices, both in the UK, but also uh, Dubai and and Sydney, uh, which I established. So that was a really, a really growth part of my career where we, we moved from very much UK centric recruitment within one sector to multiple sectors. Uh, My team specialized in life sciences or medical devices, the global energy and uh, and, and heavy industry sectors um, as well as the FMCG as well as the FMCG market. Um, Did that until 2015, and then I took a break from recruitment. I sold my shares in that business, um, and I was fortunate enough to take a a two-year break, um, partly down to restrictions, which was the right thing to protect the business. Uh, But me to have a different challenge, and I went into digital marketing. I was very fortunate that I uh, had a good friend that was a a recruiter within the digital marketing industry, and I found myself in a business development role within that sector. So I had an 18-month period of learning a new sector, new challenges, which was incredibly difficult, actually. Um, I've gone through the whole process of finding my own job, which was um, a challenge which we'll, I'm sure we'll come on to. And then I came back into recruitment, as I'd always planned, I came back into recruitment in uh, late 2017 um, to work with Ignata, uh, where I am currently. So Ignata is a private equity-backed uh, organisation by James Kahn and Hamilton Bradshaw. We operate five separate brands that operate at both UK and internationally, five separate brands that operate across completely different market sectors and disciplines. So I've got uh, oversight of some very different um, sectors and functions. Uh, I personally run an office from Leeds uh, and we specialise mainly out of my team uh, across consumer life sciences and uh, actuarial and investment. So we work a lot with consultancies, but also investment companies, pension funds. Um, So quite a broad range of of clients, both UK and uh, in Europe and
0: some in the US. How how big is Ignata then? What sort of size are we talking
1: yeah, Ignata, um, fee revenue, 25 million fee revenue, 200 recruiters. Uh, they're split mainly around the Midlands for the SF brand, which is around 80 recruiters. And then we've got two teams in London or two offices in London, one in Mayfair, one in Haywards Heath. Then we have uh, offices in the Northwest for a brand MBA, which is an RPO business. And then we have the Leeds office. We also have a Swiss entity uh, out of Geneva, which allows us to trade well with, uh, with Swiss businesses. Um, and then we have an outsourced, uh, we have an outsourced back office in India using a uh, company for research IMS and QX for our back office finance. So we've, we've got quite a
0: varied structure within the organization. Yeah, it's a decent size. So you've got, I would imagine you have a you know, decent number of people reporting into you. You would have a much better view of the market than, than, than say I would. And I think that must be really interesting for, for the listeners is that, you know, I'm guessing we're in this. Difficult situation, global pandemic. Um, but it is not uniform, is it country to country or industry to industry? W- what's the sense you have of the markets out there at the moment in terms of um the job market, I guess?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um each team, each location is having different challenges. And each week we're facing various ups and downs. Um uh, some of our regional business in the UK, particularly surrounding finance and accountancy, has been hit quite hard. So there's been a, a drastic drop of volume of new opportunities in that sector Um, there are pockets of opportunities at kind of mid to senior level that are still being actively recruited so I think anything business critical uh, has probably been signed off or in process coming into March those processes we're seeing conclude and we're seeing them continue to attract um, new candidates into those processes Um, there's been a smattering of good opportunities still been um, been briefed to us by our existing client base but I would say you know we're, we're lacking in probably you know seeing new clients come to us although we are being very proactive on an international level we're seeing probably a quicker response to come back to normality from Germany and Switzerland uh, we've lasted just in the last seven working days we've had more briefs come through from our international client base and that would span um, uh, Accountancy, consultancy, life sciences, FMCG. Um, So, different sectors that are all under different pressures are continuing to recruit select roles. So, I would say, you know, having been in recession in 2009, where some certain sectors were bomb proof, they were literally, they performed well. I would say all sectors have been impacted. Uh, by the virus some businesses are reacting a little bit quicker than others because they're used to remote working Uh, and they're also they have to deliver to their clients and therefore they're still having to fulfill um, their requirements so uh, we're still seeing new jobs coming through but it is directly you know the diagram there has been a huge downturn in terms of new
0: volume but there are still opportunities out there do you think it will bounce back quickly because it's it's an interesting one this one as opposed to 2008 which was a sort of you know financial crisis so supply of money all of those issues uh, restrict trade this has been you know there's not really a, a demand or a supply side issue structurally it's just a temporary piece around everybody being locked down and the uncertainty that that creates for business do you see a bounce back that's quick or do you see a a, a sort of slow I know it's a it's a it's a sort of big question multi-billion dollar question but
1: but I you know everything in me would love to see it bounce back incredibly quickly with you know high volumes of opportunities for people in the market to want to, to keep their own jobs firstly I'd love to see all the people that have possibly been furloughed get back to work and not face not face redundancies my the the honest part of it I think I think unfortunately businesses have their, their trade has been damaged and therefore you know, I don't think they will be able to recreate the structures that they once had. I think they'll be assessing the structures that they did have and there will still be business critical roles that they'll need to appoint and they'll need to appoint externally because they'll need to be different skill sets in and different, different people. Um, I often found in recession, uh, in the recession in 2009, that people appointed similar roles, but they went for probably more experienced and more senior people to do those jobs because they had to upskill, um, but they probably had less people. Um, I think there will be an increase in contract opportunities within select organisations where they'll want the flexibility and they will have the uncertainty of what might be ahead. So, therefore, probably for the next 12 to 18 months, they will possibly look at contract appointments. And with the government, particularly in the UK, deferring IR35, I think that will be a very big positive for that sector because it will allow that to happen quickly. Um, Although, within 12 months' time, they'll be looking towards making those probably roles more permanent, and uh, moving moving back away from contractors, um, so we're hearing that in different pockets within different businesses. So we've got some clients at the moment that can't appoint permanent people until September October. That's been a, a rule that's been pushed down from you know their main governing boards. Um, so therefore, their reaction to that is to look at contract appointments to fulfil you know their need on
0: on people. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think there's it's interesting. I, I've done a bit around contracts and interim, as as you have. It's the same process, isn't it? Basically, it, you know, it's the same interview process, by and large. Obviously, there is uh, less of a commitment on both sides. You can get out more easily on both sides, which which makes sense, particularly when you've got weak uh, business confidence. Um, do do you find it a different market? Do you do you find that the the recruitment process is similar? um
1: so sometimes it can be in in the main i think it's a lot quicker process i think people who are existing who are geared up to be contractors are confident to, to move into that contract world away from a permanent appointment um they probably have to be quite fleet of foot and be ready to make a decision quite quickly so we're seeing probably one to two stage interviews sometimes it might go to a third stage where a client might be involved to understand who that contractor is coming in. But in, in general, it moves a lot quicker um, and they look for a specific skill set and they're looking for someone to a three to six to 12 month contract. And quite often, you know, those, those contracts can be very, very secure um, because there are, there, it might be a finite project which needs delivering. Therefore, you know, what, you know, the client needs somebody on board to be able to deliver uh, the solution. Um, you know, a permanent offer still has a probationary period, and, uh, and, and uh, so that which, so from a contract point of view, I think anybody who's looking at interim more contract appointments uh, probably just needs to be a little bit aware. that They probably have to make a decision quite quickly. It's a fast-paced market. There'll be people, you know, people who are experienced contractors looking for continuing their contract contract careers. Um, but it's definitely worth exploring for anybody who's been in a permanent position to explore can they do that as a short-term fix while they look for permanent roles. But I do believe the permanent, the permanent um increase will come probably after six to twelve months when things settle down.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. It's interesting, I'm still doing some permanent recruitment and I'm finding the process there is much quicker. It's still, let's say it's yep. still a three-stage process, but because it's all Zoom, you know yeah. instead of there's nobody we don't we not have to you know the diary organisation is is a lot easier uh, i made a placement recently uh, in the wind sector where the person uh, was interviewed first on a monday then again on a wednesday on a friday they spoke to the ceo and they had an offer uh, yeah it's incredible
1: well, i would i would echo that we we're seeing momentum build really rapidly with with clients on on positions you know, people are more available. They can commit to it. They're not travelling. They're not. Uh, they're not in meetings in work. Therefore, they can section off time to to organise. And businesses are getting used to making decisions remotely using online and virtual tools, and maybe a little bit more rigor in terms of their assessment process. But ultimately, I think if they're confident, they can make those assessments. But also, if the candidates confident, we're we're finding that sometimes candidates at final stages, it's as much as a. Uh, 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 a decision for those to commit to a, an opportunity. I've just, put, we I've just spoken to one of my clients in the consumer sector where they've made four offers in the last week, and none of those people have seen the office environment or the facilities they'll be working in, and they felt that that would be a, a negative in the process. But all the candidates have been very confident in making sure that they've done the due diligence they've asked the right questions and they're they're going in there with their eyes open and they've gathered enough information to make a decision for their careers so i think it's it's on both sides that it can work it can work well there's a few there's a little bit of risk but in the main i think it can move processes
0: forward quickly which Mm. is good yeah i I agree that so you've got to have confidence in 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 you know, the offer. Uh, But I think, you know, if somebody really wants you and they make a great offer, you know, that's, is that better or worse than staying with a company where you've been a long time? Everyone has to make their own decision. But uh, certainly I think there's going to be a lot of people out there in the market. It's going to be a buyer's market moving forward, which I don't think it has been for a a couple of years, you know.
1: I agree. I think it's going to be highly competitive. Um, It doesn't mean that that means that clients will be uh, expecting something cheaper, or people to, to reduce salaries or to reduce uh, what they're expecting to come and do a job i think you know for anybody who's who's experienced and has a track record they'll still be able to maintain you know where they were in their careers i think there will be an influx of i think there'll be an influx of active candidates because there'll be uncertainty therefore there will be people available um, there'll also be people who are in secure roles are still exploring Opportunities in in you know for their careers. I think that's probably going to be less so because they'll probably want a period of stability to understand you know where their current business is. But yeah, I think it will be a, a slightly more competitive market for each position. um So it's around gearing yourself up for that as a candidate and making sure you're doing everything possible to you know to go into that battle uh, and hopefully come out the other
0: side of an offer. um What are those things? What what makes a good candidate in your view?
1: I think a good candidate, interestingly, that's a question clients have often asked me for the last 20 years. I think a good candidate can articulate what they do incredibly effectively without being asked too many questions. Agreed. But equally without spending half an hour talking through a CV, I'd always speak to my candidates and ask them to articulate their background probably within the first two to three minutes around their previous Previous careers, and then focus on their last two years or last two roles and what they've done and how they've been accountable and what they've delivered. So, I think it's about understanding your own background and agree your, more. your own strengths and weaknesses. Um, and everyone does have strengths and everyone does have weaknesses. So, being able to understand and articulate those is, is really key. Um, what makes a really good candidate is someone who prepares. Preparation for me is, has always been the key to success. Uh, and I think recruiters drive that more than direct applicants i think recruiters historically have done a very good job particularly people i've worked with are preparing candidates and making them think about first second interview feedback communication and just really managing their own recruitment process um, I, I know it from when i've appointed people people who have managed their own recruitment process with me to join my business um, they've just been very effective they've communicated well they've offered feedback um, and they've just really uh, communicated um, effectively through that process.
0: Um, yeah, I so- couldn't agree more. It's it's that I always talk to people about having a career narrative. If you if you would if you cannot articulate your own career narrative in a compelling, concise way, then how on earth is a recruiter going to do that for you? Uh, yeah. and, and and why would the recruiter put the, put you in front of their client if you can't do that? You really have to work. You have to hone that. And the best candidates, that I, you know, and they tend to be the more experienced guys. Frankly, that they they can tell a story uh, of their career, which is extremely compelling and gets you on side, makes you understand exactly what they do and the value that they will bring.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that can be, you know, for me, that can be somebody that you've never interviewed before or a discipline that you've never even recruited. And if someone's good at what they do, you can understand them very, very, very quickly and um that for me has always been the difference between someone who i would say has been a good or a great candidate um particularly when they're put in front of a client if they can do that you know especially when we're not meeting face to face and potentially doing their first interactions on telephone i think telephone is harder than than um than video conferencing video conferencing i think it gives a bit more of a, cl- a bit more of a personality a bit more eye contact a bit more you know do you are you getting to know that person but still, telephone interviews are being used. I think telephone interviews are one that people underprepare for. And I think that's a, that's a key that is equally you need to be equally engaging on the phone as you do on uh, on a video conference.
0: Yeah, you need to have done your research. You need to know who you're talking to, what's their background. You need to be able to build rapport quickly as well. And and you, yeah. you can't do that if you haven't done any research or you haven't got anything intelligent to ask. I always uh, – another thing I always say to, to people about um, – interviews is you know it's a two way process the 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 questions you ask are as important as the answers that you give if you don't have a set of a set of as opposed to one or two intelligent questions to ask that's a real red flag to to anybody interviewing you the more intelligent questions the better if they are you know by and large positive but they're also searching you know what really makes the company tick why did the person that's interviewing join that business all of those sorts of two-way cultural questions are so important yeah absolutely
1: i totally agree with that i think understanding who you're talking to or meeting with is huge you know and that that can be really simple assessment by looking at their linkedin profile or their background or any news you know what style are what style are they you know can you tell that from you know how they're how they're positioning themselves on their linkedin what their job is you know typical certain jobs will will certain styles will gravitate towards certain jobs and therefore you've probably got to tailor your communication towards that individual very 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 quickly so i think the more preparation around who you're meeting why you're meeting them their backgrounds absolutely about compelling questions to ask particularly around them how did why did they join why you know, what are the main challenges they face what are the, what are the cultural challenges the business you know faces even talking around the current situation what has the response been around covid-19 how has the business reacted you know, that's a really good indicator of how a business will operate is how they've approached the last four weeks, whether they've whether their leadership has stepped up and really led the business in a quite a challenging time. Um, I think just having really relevant questions is, is
0: key. Yeah, absolutely. Thinking again, you know, for people who are perhaps moving into the, the job market for the first time in several years, um, you know, there's plenty of businesses that, that are not going to make it through this situation, and there's going to be redundancies. There's going to be people that lose their job. We know that. Um, if you were starting again, you know, given what you know and you're going into the market, what advice would you give people who are trying to find a job for the first time in several years?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I was in the situation, best part of what, three, three and a half years ago. And having had 17 years recruitment experience at that time, I was quite blasé about it. I kind of thought, right, okay, you know, I've got a good career background. And I was I was I couldn't work in recruitment, so I was looking for a an opportunity that suited my skill set. And I found it incredibly challenging. Um, And it was a real eye opener for me about the sector around how to find your own job. And I actually took advice on it from a couple of people around how I should structure myself finding that job. And the first thing thing I didn't, but the first thing I should have done, but I didn't do was use my own network. Um, I think look at who you've worked with, who you know, reconnect with people, talk to people about your situation. Don't be proud not to say that you're available and out of work and you're looking for an opportunity um, because people will be looking for people who are available and will be taking the risk out of the appointment. There's a real positive about being available is that you're not waiting for three months to start a job and it takes a little bit of risk out for the client. So be, be incredibly proactive about talking about your current situation um, and what you're looking for and, and, and the level you operate at. Can definitely speak to everybody in your known network, people you previously worked for, previous bosses, colleagues that have moved on to different organisations. You'd be surprised at how wide your network will have gone, the various different roles, and you know, reconnect, ask questions, understand what people are doing about their recruitment. That's ultimately how I found my my job out of recruitment. It was a conversation with a with a with a good friend, telling him about the the challenging opportunities I'd found myself in, and he said, "Why didn't you just speak to me?" because we've got an opportunity. And it was the one that I jumped at um, straight away. Um, but if you're, if you're applying for jobs, you've got to be proactive. There's two things. You've got to treat it. You've got to treat it like a job. You've got to look at uh, making sure that you're aware of what what active opportunities are out there. And there'll be some that are direct with clients. So there's you know the increase of talent teams within organizations. There'll be a lot of in-house recruiters looking to fulfill positions. So therefore it's about understanding how to to map those opportunities, whether using LinkedIn Jobs or Read, just making sure that you've got a, a, a clear list of opportunities that you're interested in and what you've done about them, when you've applied, how you've applied. I firmly believe if you can have a conversation with an individual as well as apply, that's that's really important. Just so you
0: can reinforce your current situation that you're
1: interested in the role
0: and you can ask some questions. We both work in the criminal industry. We know, you know that. Uh, not every job, in fact, a great majority of jobs do not get advertised. You know that the hidden job market is out there. Um, we, we, you know, I'm sure you spend a lot of time talking to your consultants about prospecting. They yeah. uncover jobs that will never actually get advertised, and they're the ones that they want to work on. You know, yeah. I, I'm sure also that your consultants uh, market very good candidates to companies without ever knowing whether there's a role there or not. Um, yeah. and, and I advocate that. Candidates should do that themselves. Clearly, they haven't necessarily got all the tools and uh, an experience to do that. But luckily, I sell a course that helps them with that. Um, yeah. But it is definitely, you know, it, there is to, to imagine that that you know what you see on Reed or Indeed or whatever is the market is 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 a fallacy. That's oh, that-
1: absolutely, I, I can't remember what percentage I used to say, but I used to say probably something like seventy percent of all roles never saw the light of day because. What happens is client, as usual rightly put, a client speaks to their preferred supply list of recruiters. That might be one, two, three, four recruiters. There goes their known network. That'll be the active candidates or people that directly sourced. The role is filled. And therefore, for a candidate, you've got to be front of mind with recruiters. And I suppose the advice I would give to anybody talking to recruiters is, understand who are, who are experienced and experts within your sector. So if you're in a specific sector, um, or a specific discipline, whether it be a finance as a discipline or maybe the FMCG sector as a as a as a as a sector, understand who are the key recruiters in those, in those areas and make contact with them. Speak to the most senior person possible. Often speaking to someone like myself as a as a director, I can filter you I can filter that candidate through to the more specific recruiter who would who would, who would have that desk. And recruiters ultimately want to make placements. You know, that's our job. And if there's an active candidate that is committed, articulate, wants to work, knows what they're looking for, and is wanting someone to work proactively on their behalf, then that's brilliant for a recruiter because ultimately looking to open up opportunities, both new and old, with existing, with with candidates. Um, And equally, there won't be jobs advertised. Quite a lot of uh, confidential roles won't see the light of day. Therefore, they are going to their known network. So it's about constantly talking to those handful of good recruiters to make sure that they're aware of your circumstances your situation your flexibility your commitment to making a move and therefore if there's an opportunity that they have they will they will want to put committed individuals into those into those shortlists so is around forming a handful of very good relationships with proven recruiters within your sector. Um, There will be jobs that come up with people you don't know. And I think it's it's always worth applying, but having a conversation first with those recruiters to understand their experience, but also to control what they do for you. Um, I think understanding who is being proactive and who's not being proactive uh, is important. So if you've got a handful of people who are making calls on your behalf as a candidate, then make sure that you know what they're doing for you and ask for feedback, ask for updates, and any proven recruiter will be able to do that. They will have a handful of clients they can put candidates forward for immediately and others they will look to generate new new opportunities and new, new clients through. So uh, it is a bit of a, a minefield at first, I think with a little bit of research, you can begin to kind of eke out who are the recruiters you should want to partner with and uh, and work with.
0: It, it can be a massively effective strategy if you get a good recruiter or two or three working on your behalf. But you have to be, you, you can think of it as reverse search because, you know, what we do, we try and hit a bullseye. You know, that's what we do. Whether if we've got a, if we've got a brief, we try and match the individuals that we're going to put forward to that brief uh, as best as we possibly can um, on the reverse side, if you work with a um, a recruiter and you're looking for a job, he needs to know what you're looking for. I think too often candidates edge their bets they 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 stay broad and open and you know suggest they're they they're you know open to lots of different opportunities. That's no good to a recruiter because realistically they're going to make something in the region of ten calls or approaches on your behalf. So you, you need to be razor, f- you know, sharp and focused in what you want them to do. Give them a clear, identifiable brief. If you do that, they and and the ammunition um, to 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 look like a good candidate. So, you know, a great CV, a good career narrative, a, a, a personal value proposition, um, uh, an understanding of how that uh, personal value proposition uh, can be demonstrated in the metrics that you have delivered for other companies in the past. If you can do those things and give them a clear, defined brief, they can go off and attack the market for you in a very proactive way. Um, yeah. But you've got to understand that that's how it works.
1: Yeah, totally, totally agree. I think I'd say, I think there are candidates that I've spoken to the last 20 years totally understand that. You know, I've had conversations in the last week with people who have come to me and said, you know, I know the process. Look, here's where I am now. Here's my update. This is how I'm interested and this is what i've done already can you help me and it just makes a recruiter's, recruiter's life very easy and you know as i say recruiters want to place people recruiters want to open up opportunities for, for quality individuals so the more information that can be given to the recruiter and that and, and that relationship builds um uh, the easier it is
0: um, and you work harder on their behalf I, you know, again i think n- people new to the market Uh, don't necessarily always understand the recruiter when he's, when he's marketing you is working at risk. They are looking for a fee at the back end and you've got to, if you like, you've got to be very, very choosy about who you're going to work with uh, as a candidate. You've got to have total confidence uh, and exclusivity over a number of uh, either a market sector or a number of companies. And then you've got to work together on the process of putting that, uh, that offer together to, to that client. If if you can do that, it works great. If you tell a, a recruiter up front that you're willing to do that, then they are much more likely to pick you ahead of the next five or ten candidates that they've looked at that day that haven't given them a clear steer or any of the supporting information.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. As I say, you know, rec- recruiters, you know, they they have to prioritize their work sometimes and sometimes they are client led and they can't they can't respond to every email or every application therefore they sometimes do have to just make a quick judgment based on a relationship they have already with an established candidate or uh someone that they've known from one two years ago um so yeah it's about making sure that you kind of you know in the right way get that information forward to a recruiter and then follow it up and build that relationship if you can have a you know face-to-face meeting with them or a video conference
0: Andy, that's great. Thank you very much. Is there anything that you want to tell um, listeners in terms of the companies that you work uh that are in your group and how they might contact them?
1: Yeah, sure. By, by all means, use my email, which is apreston at ignata.com. Um, I can filter any CVs down to the various brands or businesses. Particularly, uh, our strengths are finance and accountancy, both in the UK and some in Europe, uh, intellectual property and legal counsel under our Adamson Partners brand. Uh, we do. Uh, A lot of recruitment within financial services at all levels. That's under MBA. Uh, And my team specialise in life sciences, FMCG and actuarial and investments. And that's, again, in UK, Switzerland, Germany, and both contract and permanent. So if there's anybody who does need any advice or direction, I can filter those CVs down to the various people within our
0: organisation. That's great, Andy. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: No problem. Thank you. Take
0: care. So there we have it. I think another very, very successful uh, podcast and some great advice there from Mandy Preston, who really understands what you need to do to be an effective candidate and to get your message across, uh, particularly actually in difficult times like a recession. So, uh, again, if you're interested in finding out how you might go about your job search, please do go to my site www.careermovesecrets.com and seek out the free job search masterclass, which will give you a video-based interpretation of all the things that we've discussed here, really how you might go about finding your next role in the hidden job market. And indeed, if you think this was a good podcast and you'd like to hear more, please do subscribe, as I will bring you more insider career move advice in the very next podcast.